Hey, this is Laura Walker, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Tell me a little bit about curling in general, just for the people who might not know how you get into curling. Because I know people will say, like, well, I got into hockey at a young age. Someone gave me a stick. But even out in the East Coast, I know we have Brad Gushu, which kind of gives it the name value out here. But how does one exactly just find an interest in curling? Most people, especially when I started, I started curling 25 years ago. So it was mostly your parents. But nowadays, with it being on TV more often, being an Olympic sport, you do see, you know, more kids just seeing it on TV or whatever and wanting to try it that way. But uh, generally, it's like a family member played and then it was something for you to do on the weekends. And that was what it was for me. It was something to do on the weekends. And then it just stuck with me for life. For for me, I always kind of get ribbed on for, for bowling because when they have bowling parties as a kid, it's like, well, geez, just send them off to bowling. No one can get hurt at bowling. You're literally just throwing it down an alley and and that's kind of, I, I feel like not in a disrespectful way, but I feel like sometimes that's what maybe parents look at curling as. It's like, what can go wrong? They're just throwing rocks and like no one's like getting a hip check or no one's going to have a head on head injury. But there have been occasions when you look at curling and someone falls down on their on their behind mm-hmm. and you hear curse words. But yeah, it's just so funny to me because I, I find like it's a little bit similar. But did you ever have an interest for say hockey or soccer growing up or was it just more or less like distinctive mind of I want to I want to master this sport right here no I um I played a little bit of everything growing up I actually didn't really take curling that seriously or more competitively until I was in high school for that there was actually a period when I was maybe 12 or 13 that I wanted to quit I thought it was kind of boring because I wasn't quite competitive at the time and I just was doing the same thing week after week and got a little bit tired of it but I played a lot of golf I played a lot of golf growing up I also played some soccer I swam in high school some field hockey I, I kind of was all over the place but curling kind of late high school and into university was when I started to make that my focus why did you choose just say curling to make it your focus because again like if you're involved in all these different sports I assume like the contact sports you're a little bit like you can get out a little bit of aggression now you said you're not at the time you weren't very I guess competitive so I can see that but why down the road of curling like what drew you more to that than anything else I think of the sports that I played, I was the best at it. I saw the the most future for myself in it. Um, And it's also a very, you know, like social sport. There's a lot of camaraderie. A lot of my best friends played. So it was a way for me to kind of continue to stay connected. I was having a lot of fun and also being, you know, pretty good at it was what I think led me that way versus another way. I I enjoyed the social aspect and, and I had a lot of fun. You look at some of the names that you've played against and defeated. Jennifer Jones, of course, even to an average person that's maybe not familiar with curling, but like knows it's almost like an NBA fan. If you know who LeBron James is. So I feel like in Canada, if you don't know curling, but you hear Jennifer Jones, you assume like, Oh, she does that curling thing. Colleen Jones, of course, Nova Scotia. And then you have, I believe it's Rachel. There you go. These are like big names that I even looked at prior to doing this interview. Cause I knew they win a lot of championships, but I didn't know just how many dominance Jennifer Jones had. But of course, you've played Jennifer Jones, defeated her at a point as well. How does it feel? Do you ever get anxious or nervous like the first time you ever met her or went up against her? 
yeah, teams like that are players that you've watched growing up your whole life and people that you looked up to. So definitely the first time I, I played her team, I was certainly a little bit nervous. And some of those other names that you mentioned, the first time that you come up against them, it's it's almost more like of a cool experience than anything else. It's really exciting to, you know, you almost feel like you've kind of made it because you're at the same stage playing against those teams. So it's it's a lot of fun. But at a certain point, all you want to do is win, <laughs> regardless yeah. of who you're playing. So definitely at, at the start, I think that there there was. And now if, if there's nerves, it just comes from playing at a high level and on a big stage, regardless of who the opponents are. Yeah, I mean, and I'm just going to take out my sheet here because I, I did do a little bit of research and notes and I wanted to make sure I didn't get it wrong. But like, you know, let's let's stroke the ego a little bit here, <laughs> shall we? We've had like, you know, it says two-time Canadian University champion. I feel like at Brock University, you're probably not welcome just because <laughs> <laughs> just because Sir Wilfred Laurier, double time, faced him twice, defeated him twice. I feel like Brock's like, that name sounds familiar. Just you go to the like, you know, when every university has a, a Hall of Fame or a Sports Hall of Fame, you just see at Brock, just your name exited out. It's like, she can't even come here. She's not even welcome. <laughs> I thought about that, actually, that it was Brock both times, but it was. You're right. Yeah, it, it feels like, so I'm like from, I, I went to Carleton. So you see like Carleton versus Ryerson a lot of times in basketball or whoever they're playing. But I feel like, I, I don't feel like any of those athletes at Carleton are welcome to these universities where it's like, hey, you look familiar. Didn't we see you before? Yeah, I defeated you three times in a final. Get out. Get out. <laughs> um, but then we have a national junior champion, world junior silver in 2010, like world mixed doubles, bronze 2018. You represented Canada twice. Uh, there's like gold, silver, bronze. Like I feel like you have a, a nice trophy case. And I, I mean, I know you didn't ask for me to, to say all that, but when you look at those accomplishments, do you look back at it and go like, yeah, I obviously chose the right career choice here. <laughs> Yeah, it's it certainly taken a long time for me and to achieve some of the goals that I've achieved in the sport and still have many that I haven't achieved yet. Um, so it's been a long road of, of grit and perseverance and sticking through it and trying to get myself to that point. Yeah, it's just definitely feels nice to you know, see the trophies and see the accolades and that sort of thing. But um, at the end of the day, I think that my life would be pretty similar regardless of whether I had won some of those finals or lost some of those finals it doesn't make or break things it's kind of more about everything I've, I've learned from the sport everything that I've gone through um, to get to this point that's what I think kind of makes me who I am and makes my life what it is okay like there's still time it's not like you're 60 wrapping up where it's like geez she's throwing that rock we got to look out and see if she's she's okay there. like you have plenty of time there but the thing that I like somewhat about curling too that I feel like Sports that have evolved, you get a little bit more mic moments. It's funny because I was actually watching it a few days ago when they had the mixed doubles and Gushu and Kerry won. And I think she threw a rock. And most times in curling, it's pretty like you hear them talk amongst themselves. But I think she said like, oh, shit, when she threw it. And I was like, love it. Very Canadian. Don't bleep that out. Let it be. This is what we want. We want some entertainment in this as well. But I love how Newfoundland now, of course, you've married someone that's on a new the Newfoundland team. I like how they improvise the social media to make you even feel included because this is kind of how I got a little bit more attention to you is they were showing, I guess, what we call memes now. But yeah. I think you were throwing a rock or you were looking at it and they show the oh, like the thing that's famous on TikTok is the oh, no song like, oh, no, oh, no. And they showed your face going like and I was like, that's that's adorable. She's she's clearly looking at it as if to go like, oh, man, that's a bad shot. But the editing 
the fact that it's getting more exposure, of course, in social media. So when you see this stuff, what's going through your mind when you see more attention being brought or drawn to you outside just the curling world? Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun. It's nice to just engage with, you know, fans, other people on social media about something other than this <laughs> big, big way of it. And like you said, that's such a big part of every of sport of life now is the social media aspect of things. So it's it's a lot of fun and I, it definitely makes me laugh. <laughs> Sometimes I look at them and I'm like, oh my goodness, like what was I doing? <laughs> that moment it's fun it kind of brings like a, a light-hearted nature to something that usually is pretty serious for us they do a really good job with that now i know other platforms as well like your team probably tweets out and if you do well or if something funny happens they'll do the same now of course i'm just following it because newfoundland sort of thing so i have to kind of feel like i have to follow Gushu in a sense but i like how they make you feel included it's not just like oh yeah this is a guy that's a member of our team he's not a newfoundlander but you know so we don't have to share his stuff or we don't have to share anything, but they make you feel kind of inclusive in their little bubble, which, you know, I feel like that's a lot of what Newfoundlanders do in general. Have you ever been to Newfoundland? I have, yeah, quite a few times. Once one of my Canadian university championships where I beat Brock was in St. John's. So that was the first time I had uh, gone was to curl. And then I've been uh, probably five or six times since then, uh, either to curl or just to visit Jeff when he's been out <laughs> I've been screeched in numerous times. <laughs> I was just about to ask that next yeah. one because I, I feel like when you get screeched in, you should tell people after a while, like, hey, I've already been screeched in, unless unless you enjoy it. <laughs> no, I don't enjoy it. <laughs> the screeched in when I went to curl, and then, of course, Jeff's friends wanted to really include me, so screeched in again, and <laughs> I, I've kissed a couple of cods, but it's always fun, and it'd be nice to go back sometime soon, but who knows when we'll be able to do that now with the state of the world and it's been a while since we've been back but we are looking forward to hopefully going back soon you should just tell these people like we need to print you out for a certificate where it says i've already been screeched in stop asking or just get it on a shirt <laughs> yeah it's like just get it on a shirt where it's like listen i've already i've already partook in this weird tradition of yours i don't want to kiss any more cods like you know then you then you use your self humor and be like i already have my cod right here his name's jeff <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about, I guess, because I read up, of course, now with sports being changed, everything's kind of in a bubble. You're in, I guess it's like the Edmonton bubble. Tell me a little bit about, because I believe you only, you have the one that has the baby. You're the one that brought the baby into the bubble. And of course, I know people are going to be like, well, why couldn't she just like, no, you don't leave a baby. It's your baby. But how has life been like in the bubble? Yeah. So a little bit of back that Alberta Health Services, who kind of approved all of the, the bubble scenarios here, they allowed for if you're a nursing mother, so and your infant to come into the bubble and one caregiver to help you take care of them. That was the only exception to anyone entering the bubble that wasn't an athlete or coach or official. That's the main reason why he came with me. I'm his horse, yeah. so I didn't have much of a choice. So yeah, he came with us and first I played and Jeff took care of him while I played and then Jeff stayed and played and we were able to come home for a couple of weeks and then I went back and played again and Jeff took care of him and then we'll be back again in about uh, 10 days to a week to 10 days here playing two last events so we've been back and forth a lot in the bubble and it's it's been okay he's just kind of gets bored seeing the same four walls of the hotel room at least now we can go outside but we can't leave the parking lot so yeah walk circles around the parking lot 
but it's kind of nice, I think, to have that bit of a distraction in the bubble and have something to keep us busy and something to just take our mind off of the monotony of the everyday life that could kind of make you go crazy in a situation like that. So most people are bored in the bubble and I, I don't even know what bored means anymore. <laughs> it's, it's been fun though and uh, looking forward to one more event. He's been everywhere from like he'll have been in that bubble on and off for like two and a half months of three months of his life. So he's only been alive for six. So it's a long time for him. <laughs> No, I, I just think it's interesting because, like, when you're mentioning about a bubble, like, I know when they mentioned, too, uh, when they had the NHL bubble, per se, and the NBA one, there was people that were – now, the NHL might have been a little bit different, but I know the NBA were a lot more vocal of saying, like, okay, this sucks. We don't like it here. There was one guy that, of course, got in trouble because he went outside the bubble to get to get his food or get chicken, and I was like, okay, like, clearly he's cracked, and it's only day three, day four. I get it, but – the NHL was kind of like you, you, you think about it from the outside of it and you're like, okay, so what you're in a, like you're in a hotel or you're in a building, you're in this building. And like, yeah, you might have one family member or someone that, you know, or your teammates there, but it's like when you actually think about it, you're kind of isolated from the rest of the world for this brief period of time. So yeah, it is helpful, I guess, in some sense to have your husband there, your infant there, it might be a little bit of a distraction from like the curling world or it's just something to keep you busy. Cause once curling's done, it's kind of like, okay, what am I doing now? Like, yeah, I can kind of relax, but I'm not really relaxed. Cause I'm kind of in this bubble. I know you kind of elaborate a little bit there, but how do you kind of look at it now when you're in the bubble? Like, you know, are there things that you kind of miss? Are there things that kind of keep you distracted? Like what kind of things do you do once you're done the curling? I think if I wasn't parenting in the bubble, yeah. I, it would be actually kind of nice to to relax. I, you know, read, watch Netflix, hang out, just take your mind off of the curling. But I think it, it really depends on your personality. I'm an introvert, so I actually really enjoy going back to my room on my own and putting my feet up and just kind of relaxing and, and spending some time on my own. But I know for some people who are maybe more extroverted, it, it could be really hard on them to, to spend that much time away. And you're not even really supposed to spend that much time with your teammates off of the ice. They really want you to stay as separated from everybody as yeah. possible. So I know that can be hard on a lot of people. And I, I definitely feel for being a mom now my, myself, I'm able to have my son with me in the bubble, which helps, but I'm thinking to all the other parents that are in the bubble. And so many of those curlers are parents and they're away from their families and their kids for such a long period of time. And that has to be hard on them. So I think it really depends on your personality, your lifestyle. Can you, you know, maybe say, if you can work from the bubble, it's not so bad, you kept busy. If you can't, it's, it's just like, it's different for everyone. And one thing that Curling Canada did do, they gave us access to a mental health hotline. We can chat with, you know, it's been such a hard year for, for everybody. And then to be isolated in this situation, don't get me wrong, we were all extremely grateful to curl and to play. And we wanted to be there and we wanted to play. It's just not something that I think we're used to. And so they were really great to provide us that option if if we felt like we needed to chat. No, that's, that's good. I mean, that's a little bit of an incentive of, you know, thinking futuristically because you would think that it's what about their own mental health like have we thought about that and it's like oh you're, you're right we didn't we were just worried about the event first but yeah that's that's good like now you don't have to answer this but i'm just going to go off of it go have you ever thought at times because you mentioned about the mental health line have you thought at times of yourself calling it or do you know anyone that you don't have to say their names or anything but like anyone that has come to you and said you know i'm not really feeling this, I'm a little bit kind of anxious. Did you give them that advice of, hey, you know, we do have this line that you can call? 
Yeah, um, not for me, but that's mostly just because I'm so busy with the baby and <laughs> girl myself and, and make it like, if anything, I need to call the mental health hotline for how I'm going to cope with everything. And <laughs> yeah. um, so not for me personally, but I do, I do know people who um, just really struggled with, with the loneliness of the whole. Yeah. Thing. Um, I, I don't know personally whether they access the, that or not, but I, I do know that I do know personally some people that really did struggle with the situation and, and it's a hard feeling, like I said, because you're happy to be there and you're happy to be curling again. It's just so new and it's, it sucks. Like this whole COVID pandemic yeah. sucks. So, um, I know it was really hard on some people for sure. I, I kind of imagine it and I could be like dead wrong in this, but I kind of imagine it's like if you went away to a university or college and you live in a dorm and then they're basically saying like, yeah, like you got all these roommates around here, you got all your other classmates, but basically what we want you to do is classroom dorm that's it that's exactly you wanna, like you want to interact with someone back home or you want to interact with like a, a roommate four rooms down skype and they're like really skype it's like that that's it and you're like oh my god I, i'm with you though i'm a little bit of an introvert myself like i'm okay with just going out and playing nhl coming in editing some episodes of a podcast watching like old-fashioned TV, like I, I've caught up on say Saved by the Bell college years, uh, so I feel like I'm one of these people that I took advantage of the lockdown in some sense. Say at the beginning, you're kind of like, oh, 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 two weeks, great, and then it's a year later, you're like, you see people that got fit, you see people that actually did stuff. You're like, oh, I kind of feel like I did nothing, but at the same time, I grew up as a '90s kid, but not knowing a lot of these '90s movies and people. Like, how how is that possible? So now I go back and. I'll watch the nineties movies, TV shows that like, I've never seen Dawson's Creek. So I've watched some of Dawson's Creek and I'm like, okay, this is, this is basically a W for me during COVID. But yeah, like what kind of things? Cause I know you mentioned about watching like some Netflix and things to keep you busy. Of course, with a kid in the room, it's like, well, mom wants to watch this. Like, nah, you're not going to get to watch this. <laughs> what kind of shows or things have you been doing to kind of keep yourself distracted? I'm a big reader, so I've, I've been reading a lot. Uh, that's something that I really enjoy to just decompress and put my feet up. I, I love a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, and it makes me sound like I'm 70. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a huge Netflix watcher. If I do watch it, Jeff, and we'll take like three years to watch one series. <laughs> we are just almost finished Sons of Anarchy, which we okay. uh, started watching from the beginning. I don't even know why I watched it. Like, I it's interesting storyline, but I literally am like closing my eyes all the time and like yeah. just shooting and killing. And so I, but we've enjoyed watching that one. And yeah, otherwise I'll, I also work from home and I can work any hour. So I'll often take my quiet time to just make myself feel like I'm caught up on my work. I'll send some email, yeah. stuff like that. Um, but yeah, my, the big one for me is reading. I go through a lot of books. I've only seen clips. I'm like Facebook when somehow you scroll through it and I, I laugh at Facebook because it's like, okay, you ban this from being shown. But because this is a TV show that's allowed to be shown, but it's the same thing. Like, I think it's the t the same TV show where they eventually catch the woman and then they kind of like give her like the gunshot to the head in the car or whatever. I, I think it's the same, but I was like, there's so yeah, many yeah. heads in cars. I couldn't even. <laughs> yeah. Again, I don't, I, I haven't watched it, but it's just like, I just looked at that one scene where they somehow catch that. It's, it's such a mixture bag. Cause it's like, they're good guys, bad guys. It's like the, the gray area. And you're like, uh okay because at the end at one scene i watched it was like just take care of my kids for me i'm like wait you're telling the guy that's about to shoot you to take care of your kids i'm like i don't know i don't want to watch any more of this this is too i i grew up with like boy meets world family matters full house i'm a very 
90s kid where I need that family wholesome moment where it's like someone messes up and then you get the music in the background. It's like, oh, Michelle, why didn't you tell me? And I'm just like, yeah, why didn't you just tell him? He's not going to be mad at you. (laughs) But I want to get a little bit back into the curling side here, of course, because I do find it interesting. You said you grew up now in Scarborough, Ontario, but out west. But I believe I want to talk a little bit about how you join these different teams or how you actually become a part of a team. Because, again, Jeff isn't a Newfoundlander, but he's on Team Newfoundland. It's like you were born in Scarborough, but you were on, like, you know, uh, Team Edmonton. Tell me a little bit about how you go about this. Because I know with hockey, it's like free agency gets signed. But I like how when I was doing the bio, it's kind of like each year you can kind of members members might leave members might come in in but how does this all kind of come to be because you were originally a skip and then when you went and joined i think it was like rachel's team you weren't the skip on that and then you became a skip again so explain how this all process comes together i guess yeah so with uh with curling it's a little bit different because we don't have team managers uh, helping us form our team so they're all of our teams are self-formed generally what happens is you play against people all the time and you kind of see how they play and there's maybe something you might like about their style of play or their personality or something that you want on your team now with the olympics most teams are formed for a four-year period they'll try to go for that olympic cycle and then if you had success you might stick together or maybe one player leaves for whatever reason and there might be changes at that point but generally you try to put your teams together for that olympic cycle and it's all just internal chatter you know you might pick up the phone and call someone that you you might want on your team um i know when jeff joined brad's team for example brad had heard uh, about jeff here in alberta and and flew jeff out to uh, you know, throw with him and watch him play and oh, wow. to basically give him a tryout sort of thing. And then <laughs> asked and then Jeff moved out to Newfoundland after that. So it's all very, it's all just internal. It's, we all know each other so well. Our sport is so small that there isn't a single player that you might think to pick up that you don't talk to already or, or know a little bit at least. And so it's all just within each other and you just put your team together with the best of intentions and hope it works out. And that's kind of why you might see some team changes because if it's not working out or maybe yeah. wants to start a family or work becomes an issue or whatever, then you have to make those changes. Just maybe a, so when I joined Rachel's team, like you said, their second position was opening up because their second became too old to play junior. So that's when they called me and that's why I went from skipping to playing second. And then when I was done with that team, the team that I formed, um, I formed with my university team where I skipped. And so it's just, oh, wow. and um, I've gone back and forth between a few different positions. I've skipped for the last few years, but I've also played third, played a couple years of second in juniors and it all just depended on where I fell and where it, where all the chips, you know, laid at the end of team forming. And if there was certain spots open or uh, maybe a, a team saw you and thought, I, I think you'd be a good third, would you try playing third? And I'd say, yeah, sure, why not? So that's that's kind of how it all happens is very internal stuff like that. Yeah, it's pretty much where all the rocks curled. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, pun intended there. Uh, I do like your answer there, but I, I just thought it was kind of interesting when you said there's no team managers and of course you all get to know each other. But when you mentioned, of course, about going from skip to being a third, like, is it a tough adjustment? Because again, you're, you're, you're throwing the rock, like everyone gets to throw the rock, everyone gets to kind of sweep, but it's at times I'm just wondering, like, does it kind of play a different mindset to you? Cause like now you're not the skip, you're on someone else's team. They're now kind of like the head honcho or leader. Does it play with you mentally or is it just more like, I'm just on a team, just doing my thing? 
it's definitely a, a difficult transition and every position is different, whether it be different style of shots you have to play or you have to sweep a little bit more yeah. or sometimes you you have to help call the line or do the strategy. And so there's a little bit of a, a different uh, piece to every single position that you play. And it's not as easy as you might think to just, you know, slot yourself into another position. There are kind of roles that everyone assumes in different positions. So it's definitely not something that's like right away. Yeah, you're good to go. Like I know <laughs> like, that it took him a couple of years to become, you know, good at lead. Like he was awful at first, he said. And <laughs> a third or a skip in juniors, he made that transition to a different position and it's definitely not. So certainly a mindset thing, like you said, you have to make sure you're kind of taking on whatever role is given to you and a practice things. So you can practice the things you're supposed to be good at and just a bit of a humility thing to recognize that you're not going to be good at it right away just because you're good at something else. And you have to work at it a little bit. There is a lot of a bit of strategy when it comes to this sport. Like I know with different sports, like again, I'll, I'll use the examples of like hockey, basketball, they, they have a huddle and you don't really, the other team really doesn't hear them, what they're talking about. They might have known for, for film or gameplay of, oh, like this is what Steph Curry does. He's always going to take a three. So avoid him getting the three in the last three seconds of this game. But curling, I find it just, I, I kind of want to make fun of it in a way of just being a comedy mindset. But like literally when you're there looking at all the rocks, the person's right behind you. And you're like, well, he could, he, she hit it this way or he hit it that way. I'm going to try to curl. It. And they're like looking right behind you. Like, yeah, you go try that. And then I'm going to try something else. I'm like, you don't see that a lot in other sports where it's like wide open, like going in on a break where you're like, Hey, I'm actually going to shoot at your glove. So just have your glove ready. <laughs> but that's what I find with, because we were watching it the other day when it was like, I think it was Gushu and Kiri and you could hear them talk. And, and I said to uh, one of my friends, I'm like, they're right behind them. They can hear every word they're talking about. And it's like, that's strategy. I'm like, I, I wouldn't be able to do that. Cause I don't want people to know what my shot is. But I, I guess if you're really good at it, you're kind of like, I don't care. Like hear what I'm going to say. How do you, how do you take it? Do you worry that they're going to hear that and be like, okay, I know what our game plan is. Um, Not necessarily. I think this event, like the event you're seeing on TV right now in the bubble are a little bit different because there's no crowd. So yeah. often, more just like buzz in the building and if, if i'm just speaking to you like at a regular volume it's not actually that easy for the other team to hear your discussion so but here in this building in calgary we can hear everything so that's a little bit different but i think at the end of the day your strategy is a huge part of the game like if, if you don't have solid strategy you can make all the shots you want you're not going to win big competitions and so the strategy is a big piece of it but they can hear my discussion but whatever i end up deciding to put the broom down and go throw it and they're gonna see <laughs> anyways it's not like a, a quick attack sport like a hockey or something like that where yeah. off guard they're still gonna have the time to then discuss what they want to do once it's all said and done too so it's just because it's a little bit harder to actually catch someone off guard whether they hear you in that moment or they just see what happens 30 seconds later when you throw the shot but the one thing that we do try to do is be really mindful of having conversations about what we want to do because of the other team so we might have like a, a meeting before the end starts completely separate from the other team where we say okay they're not making this type of shot so we're going to really try to take advantage of that and this is how we're going to play this next end to take advantage of them that's a conversation that definitely keeps separate but as far as the like shot by shot goes whether they hear me say it or not they're going to see it happen I like I like that. I feel like you. I feel like that should be like a when you see famous quotes or stuff like from athletes. That should be yours. It's almost like it's like yeah, they can hear me talk about my shot. It's still gonna happen. It's exactly. like 
It's like, that, like damn. <laughs> it's like, put that, that should be like, I know like you guys got to have like uniforms and whatever when you're, when you're curling, but I feel like that should be like a motto on the back where it says like team Walker. It's like, you can hear me. I'm still going to shoot my shot. They'll be like, she, that sounds like a whole bunch of confidence right there. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'll try to add that to my list of slogans. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Next interview you do it like curling Canada, just be like, man, I was on an interview with this guy in Newfoundland and I told him I'm just going to, you know, whether you hear me or not, I'm going to shoot my shot. And then <laughs> that, that's going to become the new slogan. Yeah, um, yeah. Just, just, just be careful when you say it down here in Newfoundland, because someone will be like, Oh, you want another shot? And it's like, no, I've been over this. I've been screeched in. <laughs> <laughs> to get in a little bit of the fun side of the interview here, growing up, like who are some people that you probably looked up to or admired? Not just necessarily, it doesn't have to be just in sports, but you kind of said, because I know for me, I know it's broadcasting related, but I looked at like Conan O'Brien for myself and said, oh, geez, that guy's really funny, but he's also hosting a show. So I didn't know that you could be funny and host a show. That's kind of where I was, that's my mindset was like, oh, I'm so used to watching like Peter Mansbridge be dead serious, which is okay too. But I was like, I'm, I'm never going to host a show because it's, I'm a Newfoundlander. Like I'm funny. What's going to happen? Yeah. Similar to kind of what you just said, someone that I looked up to as I was getting more competitive into curling was Cheryl Bernard. So Cheryl is the 2010 Olympic silver medalist and okay. she's, on TSN when you watch all the TSN she's the female voice that you'll hear um, she is someone similar to what you just said she showed me that you can have a really great perspective and um, be kind of more like on the chill side of things and be really good sportsman like player and she kind of had all of that going for her, but she was also really good she was really clutch at the 2010 Olympics the number of shots that she made to to keep Canada in games or to win games was just incredible how well she played but then she also has this perspective of like well she has an Olympic silver medalist and a lot of people would go through their life and be like I wish I had won the gold or I lost the gold and she really truly has this outlook that she won the silver medal and she just has like this great perspective on life that's kind of hard to find and you know maybe in a really high level co very competitive athlete she has the best of both worlds which I think is really really cool and she was someone that I just love to watch and I think I've learned a lot from over the years and still learn a lot from listening to her commentate and um, just, yeah, really, a really cool person, I think. And that's someone that I, I really have looked up to for a long time. Still do. I never really thought about it that way. Cause I know you win gold, you win bronze, but the mindset, even with world juniors, like I know these are just kids really basically, but you're like, you lost gold. It's like they won silver and I'll even be, I'll even catch myself at times going like, how, how did you lose gold? It's like, well, they could have won nothing. They're going home with silver. And to me, someone at home in Newfoundland sitting down, like you win silver, you have that medal for as long as you, you do you, the, the instant kind of, I guess, hate or mean messages that you might get of like, how did you disgrace our nation? Or how did you lose? It's kind of like, you're like, yeah, but I bet you're in like four or five days, you'll forget about it. Four or five years later, you'll forget about it. I'm still going to have this silver medal that I'm proud of, which is essentially kind of what she's saying, which is good. Like why feel damper damper about having a silver medal? You could have went home with nothing. <laughs> it's funny when you have bloopers or when you have, I guess, not moments that you want on the, on a nice surface or in life where you're kind of like, Oh, I wish I could have had that back. But years later you look back at it and say like, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Have you ever had these moments maybe at a, on the curling stage, maybe not even nationally, just in your own kind of like when no one was looking or no one was watching that you're kind of like, oh man, this is embarrassing. But years later, you're like, 
at least I learned something from it. Yeah, I mean, you could go back to plenty of shots that I've <laughs> thrown and missed. And in the moment, it's like the absolute worst thing that could ever happen to you, especially when you first start playing on TV or in front of big crowds. Like, you know, the first time that you play in front of a crowd and you miss a shot completely and you hear the, the whole crowd go, ooh. <laughs> Definitely in the moment is really hard, but then I look back and some of my absolute worst, most devastating misses that turned into losses are also the reasons why I, I the next time I had a similar shot, I, I made it and won big games. So always like the cliche, there's always something to learn from a loss. Sometimes, you know, you forget or you don't know that the, the camera's on you and your mic's on. Yeah. I one at the Scotties this year where I didn't realize that they had done an update of our sheet and they came to our sheet and I, I tried to go to the bathroom the end before but I didn't have my mask with me so I couldn't leave the ice surface and then I finally was just said to my team I was like I really have to pee and like ran away <laughs> and I was still on me and that was one that kind of hit Twitter and hit the internet afterwards so again something that like in the moment I was like oh my god they caught me saying that and now it's it's just really fun to look back and, and also to have people see that like we as athletes are are real people like we we say stupid things we get caught silly things and we you know we're not there to to put on a show for for you as yeah. much as fans might think that i the number of times i hear people say why doesn't such and such smile or why does such and such always do this and it's like because they're there to win a curling game and they're they're putting on sure it's entertainment for you but their job is not to go out there and and you know be a show for you like you can go watch netflix if you want to be <laughs> so that's something that you always kind of look back at too and it just it's something that's bothered me i guess about the fan base of curling thinking that they can you know dictate someone and the way that they act but for me i was i in the moment stuff like that like just little comments that you look back on and that are fun later on so there's always there's every side of it like i like i said the the misses that turn into makes down the road that suck in the moment that are just maybe the reason why i won something later on or just silly little comments like that that then people have fun with on the internet there's a lot i do like your answer there because when you said if you want to be entertained go watch netflix now Sometimes you get these moments in curling, like Carrie's oh shit moment, or when Brad won the Olympics. And I, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't, because it's a little bit intrusive. But when he makes the phone call home to mom, and he's like in tears, and then you're kind of in tears. I'm young at this point anyway, but I'm just still like, man, this is a Newfoundlander representing Canada, and he's calling mom. And I don't think she answered right away. And then she did answer, but it's almost like, let him have the moment. Like, you know, you don't always have to be in her face, but... I do find those moments somewhat engaging for people. Like I know when Brad and Carrie won, you see Carrie kind of get really emotional. And then when you hear the backstory, of course, about her, how her brother passed away and then you're like, okay, you, you get those emotions. You don't need to, you're not there for it, but it comes out afterwards, which is, I think what you kind of want in a sport. You don't want them to go and be like, I just made that shot. Like, you know, putting their hands up. It's like, Oh, she's really good. And she's also keeping me entertained. It's like, or she just made that shot and she could have been like, oh, that didn't entertain me. I'm like, well, she's not here to entertain you. She's here to win. Have you ever thought of, and I, I kind of mean this in a funny way, but like they always show on SportsCenter top 10 moments of sports. And the one that always comes up for the bowling is the guy who says, who do you think you are? I am. Do you ever want to do that in curling? <laughs> um, I, like like you said, I think if it happens organically, that's <laughs> great. Like if something that people find funny or that people are entertained by or they're moved by or whatever like yeah. watch sports and so i'm i'm sure there there's been moments in the past and i'm sure there'll be more in the future of saying 
that people just get a, a kick out of or really, or, you know, are, are moved by emotionally or whatever. And that's great. And I love that. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it happens and it's bound to continue happening. It's just, it's just not, I just don't feel like athletes should change, I guess, at all their organic personality or the benefit of other people. It's not like you're planning in your mind of like, if I make this shot, I have to do this. It's like, if it happens, it happens. But I just love how like out of all the sports, it's bowling that it just becomes where, and he even explains it of, he's like, you know, people, there was like some young, he said there was like some young guy in the audience that was saying he was too old to win. And then it was in his mind. And he said, the line was supposed to be, who do you are think, or who you are betting against me when I'm going to win this whole tournament. But I'm like, it's such, if it came out that way, I would have been like, okay, that's a little bit cocky. But the way he just comes like, who do you think you are? I am. I'm just like, he's overjoyed. But I would love to hear a call from like, say Brian Mudrick of like you throwing a rock and then doing like the whole, like as if it was a gun or something. And I'd be like, Walker, Texas Ranger. And then you'd be like, you'd be like, yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. What I, that's what I'd love to see. But if you got excited about it or just to like the animation of like, and then put it in the pocket, I'd be like, that it, she seems like she planned it out a little bit, but then if you got super excited and fell on the ice because you were that excited, I'd be like, okay, that wasn't planned. She was super excited and fell on the ice. But yeah, I like what you said. It's It has to be organic. I want to ask, like, of course, with all the tournaments that you've been in, with all the accomplishments you've achieved, like, what are some, I guess, high points that you have in your career and some things that you're looking forward, both, I guess, on the ice and off the ice? It's hard to pinpoint some exact moments. Maybe this one's pretty recent, and that's why I, I look to it. I uh, in 2018, when we, I, Kirk Myers and I went to the uh, World Mixed Doubles Championships, we were playing really well. And then we ended up losing the semifinal, which meant that we were now turning around and playing for bronze and we had lost our chance to, to play for gold. And um, it was like a back-to-back game. So we came off the ice and literally I came off the ice and like had a cry and was like really disappointed. And then we had to like flip a switch within a half an hour and go right back out to play the bronze medal game. And we played really well and we ended up winning. And um, I think that that's a moment that I'll always be really proud of, not just because I won a medal for my country, but because of, you know, the timing of how it happened and how quickly we had to bounce back and how we really just came together as our, our little team to, to do that and to play really well and to not let that previous loss affect us. So that's something that um, really stands out to me. And, and then to just get to wear a medal with a maple leaf on your uh, just such a special moment. So that's that's one for sure. And and I'm looking forward to this coming fall and knock on wood, hopefully with COVID for our Olympic qualifying process with my women's team. We, despite having a year off, I feel like we're making really good strides together and we're really coming together as a foursome. And I, I'd really like to see kind of what we can what we can do and to play again in those high pressure games and to just yeah get out and compete that's something that I'm I'm looking forward to and regardless of how it turns out I just can't wait to get out there and battle with the girls again the last thing I want to kind of poke fun at a little bit here is like you know when you're talking about mixed doubles there you go that's the word how come you've never said hey like hello I want to team up with my husband here we <laughs> let's do a husband <laughs> let's do husbands and wives doubles <laughs> I did actually Jeff and I played together at uh, the twenty the twenty seventeen mixed doubles Olympic trials. We actually played really well through the beginning of the week. Just lost kind of the wrong game to put us out of the playoffs, and we I would say we used to actually be pretty good. And then he kept winning the Briar, and the yeah. Briar, he went to the Worlds. It conflicted with the Canadian mixed doubles. So the first time he won, I decided to sit out the Canadian mixed doubles so I could watch him at his first World Championship. And then he won again, and I was like, okay, I'm tired of just. <laughs> sitting around at home, I want to play. So I had asked yeah. 
Myers, who's now my partner to play. And we won the Canadians and won a bronze at the Worlds. And we've been partners ever since. So it's Jeff's fault for winning. So yeah, I, I feel like that's going to be an interesting like conversation, like of, of a table for three, where it's like you know you you're sitting in the middle, and then they do the pan of I. If you ever watch like The Office or something, and they have those awkward moments where they like they look at Jeff, and then they look at him, and it's like he's just two of them are just staring each other down, like yeah, well, why did you have to go out and win the Briar? Yeah, well, yeah why did you have to go win with her? Like, why couldn't you just because now she's going to keep on coming to you to win? It's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awkward Christmas cards being sent. No, I'm sure it's fine, but it'd just be funny if it was like, you know, I won with, it's like, I won with Laura. What have you done? It's like, I've got briars. It's like, okay, you two, calm down. I've, I've got a baby, but you two are acting like babies. Uh, <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Laura Walker for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob Sang. Thank you for listening, and good night. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.